1: Doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. And this podcast is all about that. The guest on my podcast this week is Doug Hedler, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Fracta.
0: We are looking to digitally transform and revolutionize you know, how the water industry is looking at water mains, looking at condition assessments. Any asset can, you know, is designed to work a number of years and then you may get some extra time out of it, but eventually it has to be replaced and that's what's happening now. You know the rough numbers are you know a billion dollars a mile to replace a mile of pipe so you're looking at like it's about a trillion dollars and a lot of cities some cities are ahead of it some cities are behind but on average most cities are barely you know somewhere between a quarter to a half a percent maybe six tenths of a percent so they're pushing to get up uh the the, the struggle they have is we have a very very wide socioeconomic and demographic spectrum Anything you're going to do is going to put pressure on the on the ratepayers to pay higher rates. We're at a point where we, we can't shy away from it. This is Doug.
1: Beyond sales and marketing, Doug brings many years of experience as a management consultant, environmental regulatory specialist, and as a civil environmental engineer. He's a published industry expert and feature speaker on environment, sustainability, compliance, and risk. He earned a bachelor's degree on environmental science and an MBA from Rutgers University. Besides that, he earned a master's degree in environmental engineering from the New Jersey Institute of Technology. I got intrigued with the headline on Fracta's website, bringing artificial intelligence to the infrastructure to solve a $1 trillion problem. This is why I invited Dr. to my podcast. We explore the growing issue of aging water infrastructure and why a conventional approach is not going to help. We discuss how technology such as AI is used to augment engineers. And how that human machine combination brings exponential impact by preventing the waste of precious time, money, and water. By listening to this interview, you will learn three things. Firstly, that you should always keep challenging your approach. Your initial idea might be the obvious one, but looking at the desired outcomes in different ways might give you a better route to success. And if so, be ready to pivot. Secondly, why it is important to always keep looking around you for alternative markets you could deliver value to. There might be one that's easier to enter and to own right in front of you. And thirdly, how one of the largest roadblocks to get your solution to market can be inertia, especially in industries that have been working in similar ways for decades. So to get the podcast going, Doug, can you introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit who you are, where you're coming from, and what Fracta is all about?
0: Yeah, well, my name is Doug Hatler, and I'm based in the the eastern United States. I have been a practicing environmental engineer, management consultant. Lately, the last 15 years, I've been in technology, sales, service, and marketing. In January of this year, I joined Fracta. Fracta is based in Redwood City, California, and we are bringing artificial intelligence to infrastructure. Our initial focus right now is addressing the aging water main infrastructure in the United States, and we are applying artificial intelligence. The branch of artificial intelligence we're using is machine learning, and our machine learning algorithm looks for correlations between environmental factors, break history, and the pipe asset data and then identifies the likelihood of failure of a water main pipe over the next five-year period. Wow. We are currently working with municipal and investor-owned utilities throughout the United States, and our focus is that market.
1: Perfect. I want to get a little bit sort of back into the into the storyline. I mean, what did you find in Fracta that, that inspired you that you make, well, why did you make the choice to go for, for Fracta and work for Fracta in the first place?
0: So I'm an environmental engineer when an environmental scientist, like I studied environmental science in undergrad, and I studied environmental engineering in graduate school. And I've always been involved with water one way or another. Uh, you know, we were cleaning up groundwater, contaminated groundwater when I first started in the, in the mid 80s to late 80s. And then I moved into regulatory compliance around water, wastewater, stormwater, and a lot of different areas. And I had been watching what's going on in the water space, and I've been really wanting to get back to it. But I kind of kind of pivoted into the technology world and I was focused on technology that was used for regulatory compliance for multinational global corporations, particularly yeah. particularly those in the chemical processing industry that are you know asset intensive, high risk, and heavily regulated. Yeah. So I was out of work in October and I got a call from a recruiter who told me about this really interesting opportunity with this company called Fracta. And it sounded fantastic. It reminded me of when I joined cloud, a SaaS cloud computing company back in 2004. You know when you know client-server web applications were really just starting, but you know software as a service was really new technology, particularly in you know business-to-business. Business. Yeah. So I just thought this was terrific. And I know, I had been with IBM for three and a half four years, and I, I saw the emergence of Watson, and we were doing a lot of work trying to apply their focus, the analytics tools that IBM was offering for areas in, in environmental health and safety. And it just seemed like this was the next wave of technology to be applied in an area, aging infrastructure in particular, where it was just the right, perfect crossroads, perfect storm, but, but perfect storm has a negative connotation. I would say it was just, you know, the right things just aligned. And, and I met the CEO, Takashi Kato, who is twice over entrepreneur, successful Sold the robotics company he worked for as a CFO to Google, and he started this company with another known, gentleman by the name of Lars Stenstedt. And you know, it's an amazing technology. It works, and we are looking to digitally transform and revolutionize. You know, how the water industry is looking at water mains and looking at condition assessments. Yeah. And I just wanted to be part of it. I, I wake up every morning and you know, kind of count my blessings that they picked me to come in and run sales and marketing. And,
1: uh, cool. yeah, it's been a
0: fabulous five months.
1: I can imagine. But going back to that, I mean, you have explained like what Fracta is doing, but what is the big problem they are addressing? Why is it so important that this technology is now there? I mean, what is broken in the industry?
0: Yeah, so good. Let me address that. So in the United States, we have roughly 1.2 million miles of underground slash buried water main. These water mains range anywhere from, you know, one or two inches to eight, nine feet in diameter, depending on what what type of pipe they are. The, The water mains themselves are the pipes that sit between the transmission system, which is where you treat the water and then push it out, and then the service lines and the service lines are where the water is actually goes to the meters and is, is taken in by the consumer. The water mains are what sits under typically sit under the streets and the roads and bring the water from the treatment plant to the, to the, the consumer. Well, these pipes in the United States, if you go back to some of the old cities, New York, San Francisco, you know, these pipes have been in the ground for over 150 years, some cases yeah. 200 years. The average, you know, most pipes has a, a useful life of somewhere between 75, 50 and 100 years depending on the material of construction. In the early days it was cast iron and then the, the way cast iron was made, the thicknesses, you know very different types of cast iron. but cast iron is very susceptible to corrosive soils. We've come out with ductile iron. there's, there's lined concrete. Now there's PVC and HDP, but there's a, there's a number of different material types and each one has a different useful life. But yeah. irregardless, they have a useful life, like any asset, you know, any asset can, you know, is designed to work a number of years and then you may get some extra time out of it, but eventually it has to be replaced. And that's what's happening now. We're at a critical juncture in the United States where we're seeing increasing breaks. Water mines are breaking because of the age, because of the pressure on the system from you know, growing populations. Yeah. The, the American waterworks and the American Society of Civil Engineers have estimated that by 2050, we're going to need to spend $1 trillion just to keep up with a 1% replacement rate, which replacement rate means if I have a thousand miles of water main, I should be replacing 10 miles per year of Uh pipe. And if I'm doing that consistently, I should be able to stay up with I should be able to stay ahead of the the aging pipe and its useful life, and I should be able to keep up with growing demand in my municipality or in my service area. You know, the rough numbers are, you know, a million dollars a mile to replace a mile of pipe. So you're looking at like it's about a trillion dollars. And a lot of cities, some cities are ahead of it. Some cities are behind. But on average, most cities are barely, you know, somewhere between, a quarter to a half a percent, maybe six-tenths of a percent, so they're pushing to get up. Yeah. Uh, the, the the struggle they have is we have a very, very wide socioeconomic and demographic spectrum, so there's a lot of people who can't afford basic water, and there's people who you know mm-hmm. can afford the water and, and use a lot of it, but the pressure on the rate payers, I mean, to get more capital money to spend to do more pipes, you've got to increase the rates. Um, or you've got to float bonds or loans. But anything you're going to do is going to put pressure on the, on the rate payers to pay higher rates and is going to uh, put a lot of political pressure on, on the municipalities and the others because of that. But we're at a sure. point where we, we can't shy away from it. So Fracta, Takashi Kato, and Lars Stenstedt were first looking at applying a robot. They were going to put a robot because uh, Takashi Kato's first business was called Shaft, and he was in the robotics industry. So he, they successfully sold off their robotics business to Google, and he was lured into a company called HiBot to create another venture. And, the, and they, they looked at this problem. They saw the problem and said, okay, let's, let's put an intelligent robot with artificial intelligence capability in, into pipes. And they were going to start in the oil industry, but then they realized that they were up against the entire pig industry that's been there for a long time, was very well-sophisticated. And so they pivoted and noticed this problem with the water and started reading the reports by, you know, American Water Works Association, ASCA, and they said, you yeah, know, this could be the perfect application. We don't have to deal with the explosive, you know, and the, the health and safety issues associated with the oil and gas pipelines. There really isn't any mature technologies out there that are doing anything innovative. So let's let's do that. So they tried the robot for a while, and they just kept running into logistical issues and physical, you know, physical hind- physical problems with the robot, just getting it into the pipe, moving it through pressure pipe. So they, he had met, Takashi Kato met a gentleman by the name of Daichi, at, who is now our CTO, met him at the Stanford Artificial Intelligence Lab. And they started talking and they said, you know, why don't, we have, why don't you abandon the robot and let's look at applying a machine learning algorithm to do condition assessments and to see if we can come up with, you know, looking at a number of factors, if we can predict the likelihood of failure. So that's what they yep. did. They spun off the U.S. subsidiary of Hibot into Fracta. The holding company is Fracta Inc., a Delaware holding company, and we operate under Fracta, a California corporation. And we have now been working with the water utility, water utility since the middle of 2017. The product's been out and being used by folks for, you know, you know, over a, over a year now and there's been about you know two years of, a year before that of additional research and work put into it and it's showing to be fast accurate and very affordable compared to the, the current way it's done and that current way is either done using engineers where the engineers will go out there They'll look at this system, they'll evaluate, they'll look at the age of the the pipe, the pipe material, they'll try to look at some of the basic factors about where it's installed, they'll look at its break history, and they'll use what we call in the engineering industry best professional judgment to assess the likelihood of failure. And they usually do this on a scale of one to five, maybe five perhaps being it's very likely to fail, one being it's not very likely to fail. And the other thing that they'll do is they'll also allocate money to do some sort of leak detection or physical condition assessments where you actually go out and you may dig up the pipe or you may put sensors on the ends and look at acoustical wave flow through the pipe you do other physical things to confirm it but all of that is not very scalable and it's very manual yeah. yes and it's very expensive i mean it's accurate for where you do it but it's very expensive and the condition assessments when they have to do a full system an engineer has to do a full system that could take anywhere from three to nine to, to months to a year and is very labor intensive. They're billing you at you know 125 to 175 dollars an hour to analyze your system, and they're doing the best they can. They're using perhaps linear regression or multiple regression models. There's some other advanced statistical models that they're using to try to come up with you know the likelihood of these things breaking and looking at when their useful life is going to end. But it's still stuck in what I would say 25 you know 20 25 year old approach methodology. So when we come in now with the artificial intelligence and machine learning, we can take their GIS file and their asset management system data files that have the pipe information, we can take their pipe information, their break history, we can load it into our system, we can do what we call wrangle, which is transform the data into the proper format for the machine learning algorithm, and then train and run the algorithm. We can do that in four to eight weeks. And we've done this for a 100-mile system. We've done it for a 1,300-mile. We've done it for a 4,000-mile. And we recently did it for a 7,000-mile system. And it it, it all falls pretty much in that four- to eight-week time frame. So that's what we're doing. Now, we're offering the solution as software as a service in the cloud. And so so our customers, we can run their data. And then as they update their data files, we can run the machine learning algorithm again with machine learning. The more times it runs the data, the, the smarter it gets because it gets, it gets more familiar. It, it can refine the patterns and trends and correlations that it's finding because it's getting more refined. So we offer single or multi-year subscriptions, and then during the term year, we'll run the algorithm for, the, you know, for our, our customers you know, several times for them during the year to, to sharpen up their data. And then they're starting to team with their engineers, planners, and even the consulting engineers now to focus more on, on, a, on a decision-making regime of how do we address the pipe. So then they still do physical assessment. They still have the engineers look at the data. Now they're taking the fracted data. They're putting that with their leak detects. Now they have another tool, and they're able to now better refine and pinpoint which of the mains we should replace Our value proposition is to help them more efficiently spend their capital. And I'll close a very long answer with this. If you have that thousand miles of pipe we talked about, and if you're trying to replace 1% a year, that's 10 miles. And if it's a million dollars per mile to replace, you know, you're going to spend 10 million dollars. 30 to as much as 90% of pipe that's taken from the ground because of the lack of really, really truly accurate Methodologies: thirty to ninety percent of that pipe that's taken out still has useful life. If we just look at the low end and say thirty percent, you could be spending three million dollars a year replacing pipe that doesn't need to be replaced. You could exactly. reallocate that three million to riskier pipe and get your system—you know—the break rates for your system moving get trending downward. You know, start seeing less or more non-revenue water loss reduction because you're, you're replacing the the worst pipe, not replacing pipe that you think is the worst pipe, but it actually isn't. We heard one anecdotal story where the contractor, was a third-party contractor, was brought in to do the replacements. They would go in and they would assess the pipe they were replacing, and if it looked good, they would take it and sell it to irrigation companies. <laughs> okay,
1: that is interesting. I mean, I completely can, you can, it's the picture you see in front of you. I mean, I know. I live in Spain myself, and we have, well, we got a water company here that's regularly just digging things up, and they're very reactive as well. So, I mean, being reactive is worse, but being kind of replacing things that, are, that don't have to be replaced, is even. I think, is even worse from there because at the end it's also a lot of issue towards the, the citizens because you don't have access to water for half a day or, or for longer. Uh, so there's a lot of things that come after
0: that. Yeah, and, it, and it's not a knock. Any, any negative ism about the current water companies and the way they operate because they're operating how they know how to operate. And I exactly. think we all have to remember they are handling a consumer product. You know, yeah. we, we talk about the food industry, but they are handling a consumer product and probably the most ubiquitous consumer product on the market out there. Yeah. So they're going to be conservative, they're going to be risk averse because they. Quality and level of service is very important to them. They're doing a lot of due diligence, but what we're saying to them is, "Hey, this tech wave of technologies come, This methodology now exists. Let's give it a try. And if, it's wor- exactly. if it works for you, then sign up and, and you know, and yeah. let's let's keep going."
1: That's true. That's completely true. That's remarkable impact uh, there to get. I can also imagine that all the people that were that are, of course, working for these organizations. For them, dealing with yeah, be being rooted towards the real cause is going to be much more effective also and much more engaging to work as well because you're really focusing on the things that need to work. And yet technology is helping you with actually
0: augmenting you to do that in the right way. Yeah. And so what what we're hoping is that, you know, using use of machine learning and hopefully practice becomes the de facto standard for, you know, calculating likelihood of failure and, and using likelihood of failure times consequence of failure to come up with the risk scoring you know yeah. if you, as you're moving towards a risk-based asset management program you're going to have likelihood of failure or, and you're going to have severity or consequence of failure and if you use something like a five by five matrix that means you're scoring likelihood one through five you're scoring risk one through five if your highest number is your highest risk then five times five is 25 right if you score yeah, you know 25, you're going to do something right away. If you score five, you're probably just going to monitor things. So the thing is, you don't want your likelihood of, your consequence of failure is going to be based on your risk tolerance, your level of service, things that you're establishing that you're not necessarily calculating, you're establishing. Likelihood of failure is based on some estimate, an estimation. So what we're trying to do is eliminate inflation or deflation so that when you, when you do get your risk scoring, it's, it's as close to the actual, you know, close to the risk rating that you can estimate so then you can make proper risk mitigation plans. I get you. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think it's also learning from, I think the system is learning from all the data that all your clients are providing, right? Or is it just kind of client by client, region by region?
0: Yeah, I want to answer this very carefully, but each client has their own database, access to their own system, and only has access to their own data. But the Mm -hmm. algorithm itself has seen all the data. It's seen it not from the context of the, the customer's name. It's seen it from the type of pipe the agent was installed, its break history, and all the data that we put around it. So the model sees it as anonymous to who the water company is. And yes, it does, it does have the ability to learn. And we believe that after a certain number of miles, particularly if we've covered most of the major areas of the U.S., we could actually have a predictive solution that could help smaller utilities who don't have the resources to do this. We could actually help predict you know, help them build out their system geographically and predict their likelihood of failure. So yeah. we could be helping lift the, the, the tide of, of the whole ocean, so to speak.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's another thing. The water that's just spilled and, and wasted. It's incredible. Once it's broken, <laughs> try to try to stop it. So from the aha moment, I mean what I've learned from your from, from what you just said is that the solution is now about ready. Well, this, the company started in 2015. First customs to go live, middle of 17. So it's now a year in production. What were the, the, the specific things to, throughout the whole yeah, development cycle that that were that you focused on in order to uh, to get the, the value that it's delivering right now? Were there any special moment that, uh,
0: yeah, that stood out? You know, I came in in January, and a lot of I was fortunate, and I, and I say this every time when the groups together is. I had a functioning platform when I came, and we were able to go right, begin right to scale. I think I think the first challenge was to pivot off the robots into the machine learning. I think yeah. the second one is to decide, there's, there's a couple of different methods of machine learning. So I think our machine learning experts, you know, had to look at a couple of different algorithm types and did some R&D and, and came up with what they thought was the best type. So I think yeah. that was a milestone. Once they did that, they applied based on their expertise and the use case of which we're working on, which is this correlation of break to other data. I think that they decided to add a a lot of additional data to just the asset data. So we accumulate data from national databases on soils, on climate, urban density, on proximity to rail lines, water lines. So I think figuring out what additional factors and, and how to apply them in the algorithm was another very big milestone. And I think our last big milestone was to fully automate the system and move it completely up into the cloud where we're partnered with Amazon Web Services. And now the system is completely in the cloud and you know completely scalable and completely commercially available. The only area where we still have some manual intervention is the submission of the files. By the customer to us, they import them, but then we manually take the files and then use and then start to use some other routines, software programs that we've created to start to clean up the data and look at the wrangle. But I think that that one was the last big milestone. Now I think what we're doing now is yeah. So we've we've put out version 2.0 and then we we just you know created and pushed out a new brand identity and logo. And I think that's that's was all. I think the next big technical milestone. Now we're looking at what other data should we include in the algorithm that will have that could potentially correlate with with a break that could then help us refine, you know, our, our ability to pinpoint those with the highest likelihood of failure. So we've been working with some utilities. I won't go into details because now we're starting to get into some of our competitive. Advantage, but we're starting to do that. And then we're also looking at what other, you know, what's the natural extension beyond this? Do we go international? Do we go to other? Do we go deeper into the water industry and look at other assets like forced water mains and other assets that right now it's hard to understand when they're going to break and there's a lot of money spent on? It? Or do we go into other industries and look at maybe the gas utility industry and look at gas pumping? So that's kind of where we're at right now in terms of what will be our next. I think the next major milestone. Exactly. One other thing that did happen also, which kind of hit, believe it or not, the same week. Everything kind of happened at the same two or three week period, which is we received a strategic investment from Karita Water Industries Ltd of Japan, and yeah. they have invested money in us. <laughs> they have. They hold majority ownership of the company but it wasn't a full acquisition. And we are still operating independently under the same management, under our same structure. But you know, they gave us an infusion of cash to take us to the next level. We've kind of called it a series A round, although we may be from a market maturity standpoint a little more mature than that, but from a financing, we call it a series A. And now we have our strategic investor who's taking a more long-term view of the market, which is something the Japanese have always been very good at. is being a little more patient and taking a longer view of the market. So you know we've kind of so now we've kind of jumped off the springboard and we're we're striving to reach that next level of growth which is you know adoption in the market moving from the early adopters into the early mass market and really trying to accelerate the application and sale of, of our current solution. Cool.
1: So what are you most proud of achieving so far? Any anecdotes around that?
0: Well, we have we did since I've come on board we've acquired our first customers we were previously doing these more as proof of concepts and service projects so yeah. we have you know we have signed three customers to subscription agreements and we have another half dozen that we're in negotiations with I think so we're, I think we're very very proud of that I think we're also very proud that we're talking some, to some of the largest cities in the United States right now we're very seriously looking at adopting us so yeah. we've got several things going on in Texas several things going on in California and so I think we're very proud of those accomplishments. I mean, in, in five months, we, they, there was really only one person selling, two people selling. In five months, we've built up a professional sales and marketing organization, and we've, we've built a sales pipeline of well over a million dollars. So I think that's good. You know, and, and, yeah, and as I say every day when we get together, is thank you, to, you know, thank you to all those who developed this platform and gave it to us because there's a market for it, and we're, now we can take it out to them. Yeah, exactly. You know, but I think you don't well, get well, well, you, you are, don't get trillion dollar markets every day.
1: No, I no, mean, that's don't completely get the and way it big is. big every day. I mean, it's typically also the, the the market awareness around this and uh, people talking to each other about you know the, the fact that this is possible right now and that that it it will deliver yeah results that you couldn't think of before. That's I think where uh, yeah. where the main the big the biggest part of the pain is from a marketing and sales perspective. So I mean, if you look if if you would com- kind of quantify the impact that a solution like this has versus what, what people have been used to. Because what I've learned is that typically what you do is you, you hire a number of engineers, you hire a number of consultants, mm-hmm. and they just work for you and, and try to do it the best possible job to, to find the thing that needs to be replaced. Versus right now, some, it's, it's, it's got pulling it through an algorithm Getting the data back and has a very accurate prediction of where to start first. What is that that impact for companies? Is that in money or in in employee numbers, whatever it's.
0: We're, we're still a little early, so we're we're looking at you know one of the things we're looking at is you know what pipes actually broke that we predicted were high very high failure rates. So, you know, we, we, we've been getting a lot of anecdotal stories from some of our early adopter collaborative technology partners. The other one we're starting to see now, we've just engaged with an investor-owned utility, is use of fracted to help develop the rate case. So, and we've heard that a lot from the investor-owned utilities, that they see this as a very, very credible approach to bringing the case for an increase of rate or at least to justify why you're spending what you're spending, because it's a it's a, it's an accurate you know methodology that they can bring on top of what they've been doing. The other thing is you know you just can't get condition assessment of your entire system done any other way in four to eight weeks. It just True. it just doesn't happen. Now you know the, the companies who have been doing it for us. Oh yeah, we have all that. That's no big deal. Okay. So we'll say, well, let us, you know, give us your data and let us run it. Let's compare it to how you're doing it. Let's see. Yeah. So where we've done that so far, we've shown to be either, you know, a few percentage points ahead of what they are doing or just completely shown that whatever they're doing was, was kind of was a good attempt, but we can we can take them on a better path, right? Because like I said, they're doing the best they can with the technology that's been there. But, you know, improving it is always... So that's why we kind of say we're fast, affordable, and accurate because that's really what we're bringing. A condition assessment of your water mains from a likelihood of failure perspective in four to eight weeks for, you know, the cost of one of our subscriptions over three to five years will cost you probably, you know, about the same as what it would cost to to have your consulting engineer have to come back and do a large project every five years for the rate case, right? You know, so it's so it's it's relatively affordable and from what we can tell and what the data is showing for the utilities that are using it it is accurate Uh, that's a lot of stories yeah yeah the thing that that scares me i mean if you ask me what 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 would keep me up at night about this is we find out you know three or five years down the road that we were wrong (laughs) and you know nothing is predicting as we said it would but as all indications are right now from, you know, our oldest collaboration partners, you know, our predictions are, are holding up pretty well. And we've seen a couple of cases where they rated it a, a one or two, we rated it a four or five, and it broke. So we don't, we, don't, we don't like to be happy about breaks, but we like to be happy about validating our model. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what it's all about. So out of all the things that you've learned so
1: far, what advice would you Would you give someone that's uh, responsible for, yeah, for a utility company to challenge?
0: You know, what we say to them is, you know, you've got nothing to lose by bringing another tool in your toolbox. So, for instance, we had screwdrivers. Well, then the electric screwdriver came along or, you know, the electric saw. You know, every tool has an application and you can never have. Sometimes electric screwdriver or electric drill is good. Sometimes you need a hand screwdriver or a hand drill. So what we say to them is, how could if this tool works, how could you not put it in your toolbox? Sure. And they come back and they say, you're, you're right, but I need to know that it's going to work. And then what we'll do is we, we'll do a proof of concept or a pilot with their data. But that's really what we're, where it's at. And the other thing we like to make them assured of is that we're not trying to replace any of your existing tools. If you choose to replace one of your tools later, that's fine. We complement your asset management system. We complement yeah. your GIS system. We complement your hydraulic modeling system. You know, we complement your, you know, your economic modeling or your financial modeling tool. We just give you what we think right now is the fastest, most accurate, affordable likelihood of failure that you can bring into your planning process. Yeah. And they all look at us and go, you're right. You know, yeah. so and then then what happens is they come out is, well, we'll wait till, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be mass market or laggard. We're going to wait till it's everybody adopts it and the cost is all the way down or they're going to say, let's do a proof of concept. And then we've had some of the smaller utilities that, that don't have the rigorous decision making process of a very large municipality or city and the bureaucracy they say yeah, well, I get it. How do I, where do I sign? They just sign That's up. Like-
1: what it's also about, there are so many tools out there, and they, they are there for a reason. But they came from a, with a different mindset. I mean, you're talking about the asset management tools, about the, the GIS systems that are available, the, the, the ESRI, the maps, etc. But they're all about the process and the data itself. They don't do anything with it in order to, yeah, to do the prediction part. I was recently talking to a different entrepreneur in a different sector, and he said, you know, these systems out there are typically there to hold the water. It's a cup that holds the water. But there's no one that really does something with that water, and this is what you're doing. You're using it as the fuel to, well, to get insights out, and well, augment the uh, the people that are responsible for keeping it all alive, to do it in a far better, you know, faster, and a more affordable, and, and and in a much better
0: way. Is that correct? So did you hear what I said? No, I, okay. I, I did, and and I think that is, you know, that's the whole concept behind this whole new push into big data and analytics. Excellent. You know, when I was at IBM, one of the things I learned is, you know, you have descriptive analytics, which is looking in the rearview mirror and telling you how you did or, or what happened. Then, you know, people are moving to predictive analytics, which is, you know, if I know this and I apply whatever, whether it's machine learning, statistics, if I have this, I can predict that. I can project my curve out into the future and tell you which, where I'm going to be going. And the third wave that's coming is, is prescriptive, which is I had that I'm going in that direction, but if I'm going in that direction, if it gets to this point here, turn left, if it gets to that point, turn right. And when you turn right, don't only do that, but do this. Right. And that's where some of the, the, you know, the in, Process systems where you're talking about you know the SCADA systems and the, the PLC systems and the, the systems that are running the processes. That's where machine learning is is starting to move and help in that way to you know get to you to, pre- to that prescriptive capability. So you can avoid you know avoid a situation. So what we're bringing now is we're starting to bring the predictive capability and then the the prescriptive side of it you know is coupling it with your hydraulic models and coupling it with your operational data to then make decisions about not only what pipes to replace but maybe we should be reducing flow to this pipe because we can't replace it right now but we know that if we know that if we put too much flow through it it could burst you yeah, know so it's bringing all that together
1: yeah that's interesting and fascinating to see what's going to happen in the future so i mean if you're a company that's a software company and you're developing is there any advice that you would were any new views that this, this this whole process have provided you that you would give an advice to an ISV that wants to go in similar direction, maybe in a different industry, that you could give some advice on that, like what to do or what not to do?
0: You know, I think the folks that came before me that went through the robotics period probably have a better perspective on a technology. Yeah. But I think you shouldn't go into this business because we don't want competition. So don't come into this business. That's my first advice. <laughs> 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 but I really, for me, I, I don't know. From a technology standpoint, you know, I guess I would say that if you look at where we, we made our pivot from, you know, the idea that you had to have a physical robot or some sort of entity in the system, I mean, it means it's not necessary. So now, you know, is there a way, let's look at oil and gas. Is there a way to apply this now where they don't have to put the pigs in the system? They don't have to do certain things. So I, I think what this does, and this is, I'll, I'll say it this way. Artificial intelligence and, 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 in our case, machine learning, it has arrived. It's the use case that you need to look at,
1: because we are in a bit
0: of a hype cycle. But you know, look at the use case, and if the use case lends itself, you know, if there's been similar use cases where it's been applied, then there's, there's and it's working successfully. Then, you know, why not extend that? So in our case, it's condition assessment of an asset, well. You know, you can do a condition assessment of a pump, a valve, a meter, you know, a gas a gas line, a water line. So it, it's that. It's not. You know, I wish I had something more profound for you, but that's that would. That's my answer to to that question.
1: No, I get your point, and I I, I agree with that. And I've I've heard it a couple of times right now. That kind of starting to apply it will give you new insights, and maybe even if the Initially, inside it, why why you started to apply it? Yeah, it's still valid. It might give you other clues that that gets you into, in, yeah, into new, in a new direction that may be even more valuable. And that's, I think, something that's that's worth exploring for everybody.
0: Yeah, I mean, little and, and little things like okay, so we you know we ran it for this one municipality and they looked and saw this one strip of areas where you know the pipes had or had a higher higher. Looking at the map and looking at the looking at the pattern, it's like oh that's that's near the that's near the rail trails. Those pipes are close to the rails, so whether it's you know the, you know the electricity that's coming off the rails or it's the the, the loading of when the when the trains go by, but the likelihood of fire you know by these train tracks was higher. True. True. And people probably recognize may have known that before, but did you really, you know, did you, did you really sink in now when you look at it you see a pattern there on the map? You know, it, it kind of makes sense, but you know these little these little sidebar uh, discoveries that you have, and if you can start to think about, because once you look at that, and you track, you know, you can track your rail lines all the way up. You can track. Yep. You can look whatever it is, and, and you can change your planning decisions. You can change your pipeline procurement decisions. You can change the way you, you know, the way you're installing the pipe, or compacting the pipe, or the failure. User. There's a number of things you can do now that perhaps you know, there's some re- R&D work being done about. Well, how do you secure pipes under rails? You know, so they can they can handle the maximum loading. And if there's any stray current, it doesn't add to the the electrical potential of the soils that may you know may accelerate co- corrosion. You know, things yes, like sure. that. I
1: agree. So thank you for this. This was interesting, and I got some very good ideas from it. So if there's anything you could ask the audience, what would be your big ask? How can it help you?
0: Ah. Uh, I would say to the audience, recognize that water is one of the most fundamental needs of life and that we're all willing to spend, and I'm going to use US dollars, $2.50, $2.80, $3 for a gallon of petrol. But yet we complain when we have to pay $0.04 for a gallon of water. We could live in the grand scheme of things. We could live without petrol. You can't live without water. So... Get involved, understand where your water comes from, and respect the people that are delivering it, and give allow them to be able to invest what they need to invest to be able to continue to give you that clean, fresh, pure necessity of water. That's, yeah. that's what I would say. Wise, wise words, and I think you're
1: completely right on that. So, where can people go to find more about Fracta?
0: To find more, well, to connect with you, to say hello. I'm a prolific LinkedIn user, so you know Doug D O U G Hatler H A T L E R. You'll find me on LinkedIn, and we've got probably close to 4,000 connections and growing all the time. And then Fracta, we have our public website. It's Fracta F R A C T A dot AI. We've just recently launched a new website, so we have a resource page where we've been starting to post the articles that have been coming out about us and about AI and machine learning. Most folks right now are less interested in. they want to know about Fracta, but they also want to know about, like you, really, is machine learning and artificial intelligence, how is it being applied? I think that's yep. what the curiosity is. But our website, you can try me on LinkedIn, and then we'll be at various conferences in the U.S. throughout the year. Stop by and say hello. Okay.
1: We'll certainly do that when I'm in the U.S. But thanks for this, uh, Doug. It was helpful and yeah. insightful. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you're very welcome. I appreciate it.
1: No, thanks, Doc. The pleasure was all on my side. And for everybody that's listening today, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Doug Hedler, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at FreqTag. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So, with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this, to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea is, inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas, and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs, or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in, and you can do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode.